You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. inner sanctuary or holy place was separated from the most holy place. Now, within the holy place, you had the candlesticks, okay, notice there, which represented the nation of Israel and how that Israel was to be a light to all other nations and that all of the surrounding nations would see and understand the benefit of knowing and serving the God of Israel. Pastor Mike takes us through the layout of the Old Testament temple today. The temple that Solomon built was full of symbolism, and much of that symbolism still applies to us as Christians. Under the New Covenant, the temple is no longer a building made out of stone. Instead, we as believers are the temple. And in the same way that God chose the people of Israel in the Old Testament to reveal himself to the nations, we Christians are to be salt and light as we pronounce Jesus to the world. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Kings chapter 6 for today's edition of In My Father's House. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, and we're going to be covering a lot of territory here in the book of 1 Kings, and I'm going to be sharing an overview with you. So we're in chapter 6 and 7 here in the book of 1 Kings, and this is the second of a two-part message that I began last Sunday. The title of it is Building God's Temple. Okay, so I'm going to ask you to follow along with me as we go through these chapters I'm going to summarize most of these chapters for you. So anyway, let's go ahead and begin in a word of prayer, and then we'll get right into it. Father, we pray now that you'd bless our time together. God, as we study your word, God, I pray that you'd open it up to us. God, that you'd give us understanding. Lord, I pray that you would tailor it to meet specific needs. And Lord, you have a wonderful capacity to be able to do exactly that. Lord, just take your word and Lord, in a very matter-of-fact kind of a way, speak to us, address our needs, and answer our questions, and provide encouragement and hope. And so, Lord, to that end, we are in agreement. Father, we'd ask that you do exactly that. We also want to appeal to the great teacher, who is your Holy Spirit. And God, we pray that we would just make ourselves available to him and his ministry, Lord, as we study your word. God, we thank you. And Father, as always, lastly, we'd ask that my words would be your words. God, we thank you again for this opportunity. Bless now, for we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. 
Amen. Okay, so let me set up this Bible study for you. Chapter 6 and 7, the chapters that we're going to be considering here in our study, present Solomon to us as the ultimate builder, par excellence. Notice beginning in chapter 6, and again, like I mentioned, I'm only going to review, and so we're not going to go through them verse by verse. I'm just going to summarize these texts for you. But notice in chapter 6, both in verse 9 and 14, we are told that Solomon built the temple and he finished it. And what a magnificent project it was. In fact, let's jump ahead now to chapter 7. We're going to be going back and forth throughout this message. And that's the reason why it's important to follow along with us in your Bible. Chapter 7, notice, opens up by telling us that he built several buildings which were probably part of a palace complex. So what we have here, and let me mention the different buildings that were a part of this palace complex, first of which was Solomon's own residence. And you know something that's significant that I wanted to mention to you as well, that Solomon's house, his palace, was actually larger than the temple that he built for the Lord. And so, first of all, we have his own residence, his palace. We're told that here in verse 1 of chapter 7. Notice there. And then secondly, we have the house of the forest of Lebanon, and that is addressed in verses 2 through 5 in chapter 7. Okay, so what was the house of the forest of Lebanon? Well, it was one of the buildings that was included in the complex of Solomon's palace in the city of Jerusalem, and it probably served as the entrance to the king's palace. The building was named for its cedar pillars, which were imported from Mount Lebanon and resembled the forest. And thus we have the name, the house of the forest of Lebanon. According to what we have recorded here for us, this house was 150 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 40 feet high. And it served as a royal guardhouse containing rooms used as arsenals, also used as a foyer for festive processions, connected with court life, and that the royal guard was stationed there. So that's what made up the House of the Forest of Lebanon. And then also as a part of this complex, notice there in verse 6, the Hall of Pillars. And so the House of the Forest of Lebanon, verses 2 through 5, and then the Hall of Pillars, verse 6 in chapter 7. Now what was the Hall of Pillars? Well, Solomon made a porch supported by pillars, and this was for his guard and for people to walk in who came for business, as well as for the more magnificent entrance into his house. That is the house of Solomon. So there you have then the hall of pillars, verse 6 there in chapter 7. The next we have mention of the throne room or the hall of judgment in verse 7 of chapter 7. And the throne room, that would have been Solomon's throne. It was placed in the Hall of Judgment, so it was a part of that complex, being actually an audience chamber where the king sat in judgment. And then lastly, in verse 8, we have a place for his wife, Pharaoh's daughter. And remember, in one of our previous studies, we, told that, we were told that Solomon took as one of his wives the daughter of the Pharaoh of Egypt. 
So there you have it. That all of this was a part of the complex that Solomon had built. And all of these buildings, we are told in verses 9 through 12 of chapter 7, were very elaborate and ornate, featuring costly large stones and cedar wood. And I'd encourage you sometime during the week, you know, when you have the opportunity, is to read these chapters in their entirety. They give you some of the particulars. They talk about some of the materials that were used in the building of this complex. But foremost among Solomon's building, and this is what we're more interested in than anything else as a part of this complex, Solomon's building projects was the temple of the Lord. The temple for which his father David had planned and prepared. Now, we want to date the beginning of this project, this building project of Solomon, according to, now let's go back to chapter 6 for a moment. Notice in verse 1, we are told there that 480 years after Israel was delivered from bondage in Egypt, so we have the date when Solomon began his building project, and in the fourth year of Solomon's reign, after he had ascended to the throne, he began to build the temple. And we are told that, notice, in chapter 6 and verse 1, and then also again in chapter 6 and verse 37. And then in verse 38 of chapter 6, we are told that seven years later, the massive project was complete. Now, are you following along with me, or have I already lost you? Okay? Okay, as I mentioned before, you really got to be focused in on these verses. Now, perhaps the best way to handle the large amount of information about the temple provided here for us in this section of 1 Kings is to think of ourselves as on something of a guided tour. And so I guess I'm your tour guide. So just think of us as being on a guided tour. And as we take this tour, please remember, we firmly established this last Sunday in the first part of this message, Building the Temple, that Solomon's temple serves as a picture of the New Testament church. Remember, I emphasized last time together that the temple was for the Lord. It was a temple that was built for God, for His honor and for His glory. And in the same way, His church has come into existence for the honor and the glory of God as well. So there's the analogy. We talked about that last time. Let me give you a couple of cross-references. As a cross-reference, in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 3, in verse 16, there we are told, Know ye not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. So notice the similarities between the temple and the believers, those who make up and constitute the present church. In the book of Ephesians, here's another cross-reference for you. In chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 21. It refers to us, Paul is the writer of that book, and he refers to us as a holy temple in the Lord. Okay, so let's begin our tour. We're imagining, first of all, that we are standing on the porch or the vestibule of the temple. First of all, you're outside of the court, and then the first compartment was known as the vestibule or the porch of Solomon's temple. And then, we'll talk some more about that in just a moment, it's mentioned in chapter 6 in verse 3. We'll get to that some more in just a moment. And then we have the building itself, that is the temple building itself. 
And according to chapter 6 and verse 2, it gives us some of the dimensions, the height, the width, the length, according to what is recorded there for us. And I want you to think about this in this way. A cubit, and notice we're given the exact measurements in cubits, and so one cubit actually equals 18 inches. So if you multiply those numbers by 18, we come up with the actual dimensions of, in feet of how the temple was actually built. So the temple, all in all, was 90 feet in length, it was 30 feet in width, and it was 45 feet in height. Now, Solomon's temple was built by stones that were finished at the quarry, not at the actual site where they built the temple, but rather at the quarry, which was a short distance from where the temple was actually erected, so that all that had to be done when they were on the site was to fit them into a place. So the architect and the builders would go to the quarry, and in advance they would cut the stones, they would use the stones, and then they would transport them to the actual site where the temple was built, and then just fit it into place according to, notice, chapter 6 and verse 7. In fact, let's read that in chapter 6 and verse 7. We are told that the temple, when it was being built, was built with stone finished at the quarry so that no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. And the idea was that the actual site of the temple was a holy place. And so they didn't want any kinds of distractions or noise. They, they, they wanted to revere that area where the actual site of the temple was being built. Now, what's interesting about all of what is recorded first there in chapter 6 and verse 7, and one writer, more than one writer, in fact, many writers, commentators, suggest that as the temple relates to us, and remember we've already established that analogy, finishing these stones at the quarry suggests to us that none of us are to be laid in the spiritual building of the church until we have been first hewed and squared by the Spirit of God, by the grace of God, and the Word of God before we actually are able to enter into and become a member of God's church. And isn't that true? I want, and I, you know, I think that's a great observation. And I find this to be very interesting. You know, God does a work within our lives. He calls us. First of all, he's working in our lives, preparing us for making that choice and decision for Christ. And then upon making that choice and decision for Christ, he begins to mold and shape us. And if I could, in this same way, use this analogy, he fits us into that building, right? The church. And he does that by his grace. He does that by the word of God. And how important that is. You know, as he transforms us and changes us. How? Through the study of the word of God. God. So, so an interesting observation. But then also, let's go back to that verse there in chapter 6 and verse 7. Also, this silence at the site suggests that those who have been placed in the church should do all they do for the edification of the church, that is the building up of the church, in a quiet and peaceable manner, without contention and turmoil. So, interesting observations. Now, the porch where we imagine ourselves standing before we actually enter into the 
temple and I described the different compartments there within the, the temple. So the porch where we imagine ourselves standing measures 15 feet in length, according to chapter 6 and verse 3, and is the first of the temple's three main sections. There's the vestibule, if you will, then there's the holy place, which was the second compartment, and then the third and final compartment is known as the holy of holies. And so there in the vestibule, it has a large bronze pillar on each side as we enter into the temple. So it had a large bronze pillar on each side, according to chapter 7 in verses 15 through 22. On the south side was the pillar that was named Jachin. Notice there in verse 21 of chapter 7. The word Jachin literally translated from the Hebrew means he establishes. And then on the north, the other pillar was named Boaz, which is translated in the Hebrew, in him is strength. So, both of these names testify to the divine origin and the stability of God's promises to David. So what were those promises that God had made to David? Well, that God would be with David, that God would protect David, that David would be victorious in battle, and that ultimately he would ascend to the throne. And then there would always remain someone who would follow him from his lineage that would continue to reign upon the throne. So all of these promises, those pillars testify to God's promises that he had made to David. Now from the vestibule, we're standing at the vestibule, remember, or the porch, and we now are about to enter the sanctuary or the first compartment, which was known as the holy place. Now this was the largest of the sections that were a part of the actual temple. And it was according to what we have recorded here for us, the second compartment was 60 feet long. Once again, it was known as the holy place. And the inner sanctuary, or holy place, was separated from the most holy place. Now, within the holy place, you had the candlesticks, okay, notice there, which represented the nation of Israel, and how that Israel was to be a light to all other nations, and that all of the surrounding nations would see and understand the benefit of knowing and serving the God of Israel. Now, in the New Testament, isn't it interesting? Remember in the book of Revelation, where is it? In chapter 1, when John is receiving the revelation from God, and on the Lord's day, as he was worshiping God, from behind him, he hears this noise. It's likened unto a blaring trumpet. And he turns in the direction of where that sound had come from, and he sees Jesus standing in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. So in the Old Testament, the seven golden candlesticks represented the nation of Israel, but in the New Testament, the seven golden candlesticks represents the church. So in the same way, we are to be a light to the nations. So others that are around us are to see the benefits of our knowing God and that it would entice other people to want to know the God whom we serve. So there is the significance of the 
candlesticks. Then opposite, notice you have the table of showbread. And on that table, you had 12 loaves in two stacks, six on each side, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And in a similar way, it represented communion. And remember, Jesus referred to himself as the bread of, of life. And he who eats of that bread of life will never hunger, right? And weekly, on the Sabbath day, the priests would eat of those loaves, all 12 of them, and then they would be replaced. So every Sabbath day. So that represented the provision of God for his people. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, his church. And then you have the altar of incense in between them. Notice that. So they would burn incense upon that altar, and it was symbolic of the prayers that go up before God, how that it was a sweet savor unto the, unto the Lord. And so it represented the prayers of God's people ascending unto God, God receiving those prayers. So then you have the altar of incense. So basically those are some of the vessels that we find there within the second compartment known as the holy place. And you can read some more about that in chapter 6, verses 16 through 20. So this room, the next compartment that we're about to enter into, was referred to and known as the Holy of Holies. And this consisted of a cedar board floor and walls, according to chapter 6 and verse 16. It was 30 feet in length, and it was separated from the holy place, the second compartment, by a heavy curtain or veil. In fact, in the book of 2 Chronicles, in chapter 3, in verse 14, we're given the design of that veil, what that veil looked like, and we are told, and he made the veil of blue, purple, and crimson, and fine linen, and wove cherubims into it. Now, it was the most sacred place of the temple. It was here the high priest of Israel entered once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people. Presently today, that day is known as and referred to as Yom Kippur. So the high priest only once a year would go into the holy place and then go through the veil into the holy of holies and stand before the Ark of the Covenant and make a sacrifice for the entire nation of Israel. Now, just a little bit of trivia about this. This is, this is kind of interesting. When the high priest went into the holy place once a year, before he went in, they would actually tie these bells upon his garments, and then they tied a rope around him so that when he offered that sacrifice unto the Lord only once a year on the Day of Atonement, if it was not acceptable unto the Lord, the high priest would actually be struck dead by God himself. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, Every person's life goes through different seasons. There are seasons of war and seasons of rest, and each season has a purpose. When Solomon became king, he said this, You know that David, my father, could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the warfare with which his enemy surrounded him, until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. 
But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. And so I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. Are you in a season of rest? Those seasons are given to us so that we can have time to build. What are you building for the Lord in this season? You've been listening to In My Father's House with Pastor Mike Fenizio. Pastor Mike has been teaching his way through the book of 1 Kings, and we've been learning so much together. I'm glad you've been here for it. I don't know about you, but hearing these great messages makes me hungry for even more. If that's you, boy, are you in luck. We have additional audio available to you through one place, or you can head over to our website and click on the headphones in the resources tab. That website is harvestnyc.org. Once again, harvestnyc.org. Or you can subscribe to our podcast and listen at your leisure. If you'd prefer to watch instead of just listen, we've got messages for you as well. On our website, there is a link to Vimeo. Check it out. And be sure to come back again as Pastor Mike continues this series through the book of 1 Kings, right here on In My Father's House. Oh, my heart, not be troubled.